showed by a man. This is the Spirit of God that does His work. So, Father, we thank you and we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give God praise. Come on, give God praise. I'm going to ask that DeAndre would, would join me on stage. Um, as you all know, thank you, uh, we had a hurricane hit the panhandle um, of Florida. Sometimes when stuff doesn't directly affect us, uh, we are prone to put it out of our minds. Um, but DeAndre uh, and his family is from Panama City, the direct uh, track that Hurricane Michael hit. And um, so I just want him to share a little bit, whatever God puts on your heart to share, for you to share, um, that you would help us to pray well for your family. Well, first off, I want to thank uh, you guys for your support. Um, a lot of you have reached out to me throughout the week just to check on my family and making sure that we all that they all were safe uh, by God's grace your prayers uh, he heard them so my family is safe um, uh, as far as damage the only thing that was lost was my parents church that they passed at. so that church building completely is to the ground um, my grandmother she lost windows in her home and she uh, in a trailer so I'm grateful to God that she didn't lose her home because a lot of big buildings, uh, stores, schools are completely destroyed. And my mother's house was spared. My grandmother's house was spared. So I'm um, thankful to God for that. Um, a lot of friends, though, you know, that I went to school with, they lost their homes. Um, you see a lot of looting going on because of that they're desperate for food and water. And, not responding quick enough because this is something that our city actually this this is pretty much the first time that we ever had to deal with a big devastation like this so I mean people are being people sin is being at its greatest at this moment and unfortunately my older brother is um, a part of that loop and that just you know that just breaks me to the core of my heart so just lift him up stepdaddy had to go. Well, a lot of my family went out to Pensacola because the power is out. We don't know how long it's going to take them to get the power back up. They shut off the water. The water is out. So the first responders and everybody around the country that came out to help out, they're doing the best they can to get it up. But uh, it's supposed to take at least two months for them to fully get power and water back on. But the rebuilding of the city as a whole is going to take uh, some years. Yeah. Would you stand and stretch your hands to DeAndre? We're going to pray for him. Remind me, what's your brother's name again? His name is Eric. Said? Eric. Eric yeah. is my um, brother's name. Okay. And before you guys uh, pray, um, a lot of you have been asking, even my wife has been asking if I'm okay, and I've been saying that I'm okay. I'm really not okay. Though I'm not there physically, affect, directly affected by it, um, probably about 500 miles away, just don't know how to handle this situation. It's pretty heavy on me, plus all the other responsibilities I got on my back. I gotta make sure that um, I'm taken care of with my family and 
is constantly fast-paced moving and not having the time to really process what happened and not being able to help my family at this moment. So um, just pray for me, please. I'm going to ask that elders come wherever you are. Would you come? Deacons, would you come? Come quickly. Andre has been doing a, and his wife has been doing a phenomenal job leading a life group at our church. It's a young man that is faithful, has been saved for a long time, but God has done a tremendous work in his life. And so I just want to just put him in remembrance of all the things he's learned up to this point. And we want to pray God's grace, God's healing, God's favor on his life and his family this morning. I want to remind him before I pray that God is sovereign, which means he's in control. Your arms are too weak to hold this. And so in moments like this, we cry out to the God that is strong, to the God that is faithful, and to the God that is not forgotten. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for his faithfulness and Lord you see his heart and you know his heart he wasn't planning on coming this morning he has to be to work in just a little bit but he came father and so I just pray that out of him so just just faithfulness in coming that you would begin to minister to his heart in a way that mends your word with his with your truth that you would insert your truth into his heart and that it wouldn't leave him or forsake him Father, bring comfort to his mind and peace to his heart. I, I pray that you would lead him in being the voice of, of reconciliation to you, to his family. I pray that you would give them boldness in his proclamation to his brother Eric and to his extended family. I pray that the gospel would loom large in his life and through that proclamation that you would use him to bring many into your kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for that. We bless you for that. Pray for his parents as they are dealing with the loss of the church building and still having to shepherd the congregation and moving to and fro without power and food and water. God, would you be there and would you be present and would you meet needs? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Accept my brothers here. You would just take them out, minister to them, encourage his heart. So this morning, DeAndre came to mind and I jumped on the phone with Sam and Audrey and I said, um, I want to raise an offering for DeAndre's family in church. We, we don't normally do this. And if you're like me, I don't carry cash or checks on me. And so I want our, our team in the back to please put up the offering slide that has our text to give information. And I just want to raise an offering. And so right now, so many times we pray and, and, and we text and we say, Brother God, speed and brother, we're praying. But he just said his family has legitimate needs, real needs. And so we're just going to ask you if you would take out your phone. This is the phone number is 561-562-4694. And that the church will respond as the church. And let's sow an incredible seed. Audrey and Sam know what to do to relocate those 
um, to bring those funds together and we'll send a check this week to him and his family plus what GF forgive we want to bless them and encourage them pray that they will stay faithful in their gospel proclamation amen so you may be seated I'm gonna give you a few minutes to do that regular way online you can do that as well if if you have a check you have cash with you you can do that as well amen amen good news coming up for us fellowship kids let's give them a hand clap round of applause can't always see out there to the audience but some good news, um, I, I don't know if you know, each week we have between 40 and 50 kids that, that join us uh, for worship. Um, and these are kids uh, that are typically age 12 and under that they've been joining us each week for worship. And so we're giving the gospel to them through gospel proclamation um, each week. And there's a team that works incredibly hard uh, doing that. So if they try to recruit you, please let them recruit you in Jesus' name. Uh, and, and, and serve our children. It's getting to the point where uh, Fellowship Kids has risen to the top of our agenda, and how do we do a better job of equipping them uh, and giving them the space that they need? If you're back there, sometimes you see it's getting more and more crowded. Uh, so the elders have made a decision to uh, get another room uh, outside of the auditorium, uh, particularly from ages seven to 10. Um, and so they're gonna be walked down uh, by the teachers to that other classroom for that age group. Um, and so I'm excited about that because that frees up more space, particularly for our little ones, so that they can roam more free and unrestricted in those classes. And so we, we, we thank God for that. My wife, uh, Kaisha, has been leading Fellowship Kids uh, for probably some three years now. And she's done an incredible job, but she is stepping down uh, from the leader of Fellowship Kids and Ruth Florio. Are you here, Ruth? Yeah, she's right there in front. Yay! Awesome! And Natalie Presendu. Let's give it up for her as well. They are going to be teaming up to lead Fellowship Kids. And so if you have any questions, comments, intricacies that you want, you can adjust those things to them, okay? Um, and I'm so thankful for their service to Gospel Fellowship. Amen? Awesome. Some more good news. Somebody say some more good news. GF Youth. Cool. Um, GF Youth, praise God. Um, we, we are also seeing that our kids are growing. Our kids are growing. Our kids are getting older. We are having more and more kids between the age ranges of 11 to 15. And what's clear is that, man, we need to, we need to serve them and serve them well. We need, it, it, we, we, we are so, um, it is so important that in that age of middle school, first year in high school, that the gospel stays relevant in their hearts and in their ears. And so what we're doing uh, on October 28th, uh, during 
um, our service. You'll get more information about this from the announcement. We're going to be having a meeting for those that want to be a part of this GF youth ministry that's launching. And so what will happen is very similar to what happens with seven to ten year olds. They'll sit, they'll experience worship, and they'll go to their own group. Uh, it is not the same curriculum that Fellowship Kids use. It's actually separate from Fellowship Kids Youth uh, uh, Ministry. Um, and they're going to be doing some more challenging, rigorous study of God's Word with fun and games, as well as some off-site things. So there'll be some trips that's involved. Uh, there'll be some cool stuff that they go on and experience events and so on and so forth. And what we want to do, the hope and desire, is that that 11 to 15 age group would build uh, their, their own kind of community. And so they'll see not just friends that they attend church with, but they'll see friends outside the church as well. And so if you want more information on that, October 28th, we're going to be talking more about that. We'll probably be recruiting uh, another room to host them, and that kicks off in January. So for now, pray. Uh, pray that God would um, provide us adequate leaders and pray for our, our youth that are here between the ages of 11 and 15 that they'll be blessed by this ministry. Amen? Amen? Cool. Thank you, whoever that loud amen in the back was. I appreciate that. Um, let's get into the word. This past week, or no, maybe two weeks ago now, I was asked to be a part of the pastor's forum down in Fort Lauderdale. And the aim of this pastor's forum was to get pastors from different uh, uh, bents denominationally and theologically into one room to discuss the idea of discipleship and church membership and baptism and conversion. And so I went down there uh, and we started to discuss those things and um, again, pastors from different camps and different persuasions all in the same room. Um, and we're just talking through what does discipleship look like for the church and what does conversion look like? How do you know someone's saved? Or how, how, is, how does baptism work for you in modes of baptism? Or how you baptize? Do you sprinkle? Do you dunk? So on and so forth. Um, in communion, how is the Lord's Supper taken? And so I'm down there, we're having a good conversation, and, and it's this guy who's working on uh, an advanced degree, and so he wanted us to do this for him, and so we obliged to do that for him. And then he switched it so cleverly. He said, now I heard what you said about communion and discipleship and, 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 and conversions and all of that, but what do you do if someone is disabled to the point they are nonverbal. They are not able to speak or communicate at all. What does conversion look like for them? If they are nonverbal, what does, what does your discipleship model lend to someone that has no ability to speak verbally at all? What does church membership look like? How do you... How do they ascend to your, your, your creeds or your doctrine or what you believe? And what we saw is these pastors from different persuasions, you saw them start wrestling in their mind and the wheels started turning. And as the wheels was turning, you saw kind of two positions taken. One, which came rather quickly, was like, well, man, God said love them, so we're just going to love them. You know, whatever, whatever they want. Yeah, they want to be members, man, God is love. Be members. Man, if they 
But they, they, you know, I kind of think God's, you know, God does all of that, that, that stuff, and I don't, I'm not putting requirements and stuff together. I'm just going to love people and just accept people no matter what. Then you saw other guys take a more uh, hardcore position and say stuff like, well, listen, if they cannot intellectually ascend to our creeds, our doctrine, our beliefs, the way we do ministry, then, then they're welcome to come and join and be a part, but we cannot officially let them become members of our church. And then, then you saw other guys just, just, start, just start trying to not pick a side but begin to deal with the tension. In other words, they weren't running to the left or running to the right. They were trying to figure out how do we honor God's word, what we believe, our creeds, and how do we treat this person made in the image of God with dignity and value, with the respect that they deserve, and allow them to be engaging in the body of Christ. It was awesome to just be a part of that. And as I thought about this message, as I thought about how we've been talking about This Is Us and all these issues and stuff that we've been talking about, which has been a blessing to me, and I pray that you have enjoyed this time, I started thinking about how will the church have a relevant voice in the culture in which it lives? So you come to church, you come to Sunday morning, you go to life group, praise God, you got all this other time in the week. How are you engaging the culture skillfully where you live, or does it even matter to you? And so my hope for this sermon is not that we'll walk away with the oversimplistic view of complicated issues. But I pray that we'll walk away with a view of ethics that mirrors Jesus in all that he's done. Amen. I also don't want you to leave this sermon with this moralistic view of righteousness and how people need to capitulate to our agenda and to just do what the word says. Have you ever heard that? And that's true. And it is so true. But for our day that we live in, we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. These are not people to be argued over. These are people to be loved. I'm going to say that a few times in this sermon. Amen. I remember being in college. I'll admit it. I was in college when I, when I came across this poem. Most of y'all are so savvy, you probably came across it in middle school. Sorry, I went to some challenging schools growing up. I didn't. My, my, my daughter's learning stuff that I just learned yesterday, and she's in the sixth grade, so y'all, y'all pray for me. Um, but I remember being in college. Uh, I was at Palm Beach State. Well, not Palm Beach State. Back then, it was Palm Beach Community College. I'll show my age a little bit. And this poem came up, and I just fell in love with it the minute I read it, and many of you all know it. It's Robert Frost's poem, um, When Two Roads Diverge, or something like that. And I remember reading this, and this, this ending line has always gripped me as something that I wanted to be true of my life. It says, there's two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. 
I wanted to be that person. I didn't want to be that person that just follows what everybody else does. I want to be that person that, 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 that charts my own path, that, that stands on his own two feet and, and, and can take a road less traveled by without needing the approval and the accommodation of other people. But the truth of the matter is that came from a very secular and sinful idea that permeates our culture today. I want to chart my own path. This is individualism to its core. I'm going to do it my way. And yes, I think that's important because God's given us this desire to, to discover and to explore and to find our way. I think those, those are all good, godly things. But those things that we should be doing should be marked by the glory of God. And here's what you find as a Christian. As you keep following him, here's what you find. There have been millions of people that have followed him with the same passion that you're trying to follow him far before you ever started. So you learn to walk in the wisdom of the forefathers and foremothers that have gone before you and charted this course. So it is not your own course you are a part of a larger and more beautiful community than you could ever imagine. So God wants us to do that for the glory of God. And so that's where a passage like Luke 9, 23 comes in where it says this, and he said to all, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Or if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Isn't that what God's called us to do as believers? And so today I want to talk about Christ and how he empowers us to follow Jesus's ethics. Jesus's ethics. Warning, this is a part of a series that we'll look at next year as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount with great detail, but today I'm just going to give sneak peeks of it. Amen. We live in a challenging, challenging culture. We don't have the situations that our parents did and our parents' parents had. We have our own unique situation. We have, we have so many things that flood our mind and in this culture, for instance, partisan politics comes to mind. Are you Democrat or are you Republican? Racial tension comes to mind with racism just all out in front of us. Truth be told, in us. Me Too movements, sexual revolution that has kicked it even into a higher gear within the generation in which we live. We live in a culture that tells us to cast caution to the wind and whatever makes us happy that we feel should, should make us happy or should satisfy us, that's what we should do. Jesus is going to give us a parable this morning out of um, the book of John, chapter 8, and in that, he's going to help us understand, I believe, how we should engage winsomely and faithfully in our culture. In this parable, Jesus gives an example of how the gospel clarifies our work. It helps us to understand the way of the kingdom. So let's get to the passage. John, chapter 7, verse 53 uh, through John 8, verse 11, says this. Then each one went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. 
Then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, in the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they may have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his fingers. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, Lord. She answered, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. That is translated to leave your life of sin. Let's pray as we talk about three things. Jesus ethics is our title. Engaging God, engage or engage God, engage people, stone throwers, and making friends on the other side. Engaging God, engaging people, stone throwers, and making friends on the other side. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can approach your word pray that you would build our appetites to desire the meat of your word. Pray that we would not necessarily have to be uh, entertained or stimulated to be able to wrestle with the truths that we find in the text. I pray for an insatiable desire to know you the more, which means to study your book. So, Father, speak to us. Guard me from error. Help me to preach faithfully to your people. Help us to not just hear, be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I pray that we'll be transformed by it, and that's something that Rodney could never do, but the Spirit can, so we ask for the Spirit's help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, the first thing I see as, I, as, I'm, as I'm just marching through this text is... Jesus' commitment to teach the people of God. His commitment to teach the people of God. The Bible says everyone, and this is after John chapter 7, and after he's going through teaching and wrestling with the Pharisees and people questioning him, the Bible says everybody else goes to their own house, but Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives was a place that was closer to where Jesus was while the time he was teaching the people there. And he went there because it was quick and it was fast. And he probably went to a friend's house. But you can also kind of conclude that this Mount of Olives is a place that Jesus went continually to pray, to be away. The Bible will talk often about Jesus waking up early in the morning and communing with the Father. Jesus had a regiment of devotion. And as we talk about Jesus' ethics, the first thing I want to share with you is that this means that we need to engage God. We're going to talk about some heavy things this morning. But the first thing I want to say to you, engage with God. 
Some of us, as we look on, on social media, Instagram, we watch the news, we, we read papers, magazines, articles, blogs, what have you, we, we so often engage with our mind. We respond with our mind. We form opinions with our mind. But the first thing I want to encourage you to do, church, is to engage with God. Engage with God. And you do that through prayer. And this was what Jesus was about. Jesus was about his father's business. From the time he was 12 years old, Luke 2, 49 tells us that Jesus was found discussing things in the temple with the leaders. He was about his father's business. And you and I should be about our father's business as well. So how do we do that? We engage with him through prayer. And secondly, we engage people. <laughs> Real people. Like people with a heartbeat. Dre was here earlier, I don't know if he still is here, and he said people reached out to him. So, I'm so glad about that. And with our technology, we can do that stuff really quick, can't we? We can, we can see stuff on Instagram, we can see stuff on, on Facebook, and we can just like things and comment on things. And th this morning, even as I'm preparing, I see my little happy birthday list on Facebook. So I'm just like, happy birthday, enter, happy birthday, enter, happy birthday, enter, happy birthday, enter. Happy. Just want to make sure everybody has a happy birthday. Sue me. Um, but, but, but the whole idea is I'm doing it so fast. I'm not really thinking about these people that I'm saying happy birthday to. I'm just making sure that I'm kind and, and generous in my, in my compliments. I'm not wondering how their day is going. I'm not planning gifts necessarily for my 1,004 friends on Facebook. We live in a culture where you can go the whole day talking a whole lot of stuff and not talk to one real person, not have a real conversation as we talk about this first point, I want to say, engage real people that are breathing and have a pulse. And you could actually have a back and forth conversation that does not include long-gated text messages, which I hate, by the way. Just call me. If it's going to be that long, just call me. Anyway. So we engage God, we got to engage real people, and that's what Jesus does. Jesus, God in the flesh, what does he do? He goes and have real conversations with his teaching. Where is he teaching? Out in the open, not hiding in some corner. Out in the open, just teaching people, allowing his critics to take part because God's confident in who he is. And so he's just teaching out in the open, dealing with hard issues dealing with what some will call taboo issues, or issues you don't like to talk about. And so Jesus is there, he's engaging people. They never had to look hard for him because he's always right out in front teaching and instructing people. And then all of a sudden, they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, adultery in that culture had a stronger stigma, if you will, than it does now. Adultery in that culture was a, was a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing in this culture, don't get me wrong, but it carried a stronger stigma to it. And so as, they, as he's teaching there, they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. 
Jesus has to respond. Here's my question on the table. If you're Jesus, you've been preaching that God in the flesh, you are the, tr- the way, the truth, and the life, that you are co-equal with the Father, and they bring this woman caught. There's evidence. This, the, the case is stacked against her. She's caught in the act of adultery, and they bring her to Jesus, and they say the law says that she should die, what do you say? Now, many of us, if you're listening to me this morning, you've, you've, some of us, you've, you, you've heard that story before. This is not necessarily true. And you say, okay, Rodney, yeah, I know. She's called an act of adultery, bringing her to Jesus. Heard it before, I get that. But I want to I wanna draw a bridge. I've, I've already tried to draw a bridge from 2018 to where Jesus is preaching that day. But I want to draw a bridge for us back from where Jesus is preaching to 2018. And I think a kind of a stigma that, that goes a little bit closer to where we are that is still permeated in this culture is how we deal with our friends in the LBGTQ community. I think that's a little bit a little bit more relevant for us this morning. So you have a friend and you're real friendly at work and you get this, 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 this envelope that this person gives you and they invite you to their wedding and you find out that this person is marrying a person of the same sex. What do you do? Or, okay, maybe it's the racial tension that we deal with in this culture and there's this person at your job that, 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 that is carrying around, and I'm just using this example, I'm going both ways, uh, that, that they walk into work and they have this, this Trump jersey on and it has the number 45 on the top and the, on the front and the American flag on the back. And if you go see their vehicle, they have the Confederate flags coming out of their vehicle and they come to you and sit right next to you at this meeting that you're having at your job. What do you do? Or uh, you, 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 you have a person that comes in in Black Lives Matter gear to your job and sits right next to you. What do you do? I think that gets us a little bit closer to this tension that's happening in the text. Or maybe you, 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 you have this, 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 this different side than one of your good friends on issues of immigration. And, and you line up over here, but they line up over here, and you have this tension and this conflict, and you're wondering, how should I engage? Should I engage? And to what degree should I engage? And how do I do all of this as a believer? That gets a little bit closer to me. As I mentioned earlier, this whole idea of partisan politics the fact that you're a Democrat and this other person is a Republican or you're a Republican, this other person is a Democrat, how do you deal? How do you not let conversations stop when you get to integral parts of life and policies? 
Shobaraka has this crazy line in one of his songs. He says this, fight for justice from creation to the tomb. I know black lives matter and they should matter in the womb. What Shobaraka is doing in that line is he is drawing great tension between how many people in the Black Lives Matter would be pro-abortion and how other people that are, are against abortion could really care less about Black Lives Matter. He's, he's trying to build tension for us to wrestle with. He's helping us to become flexible in how we see what's happening in our culture. You see, now I think we're ready to go back to the text and see how Jesus handles it in this passage. But before we get there, I want to say this. On some of these issues, and you notice I'm not giving necessarily answers and positions here, because I want to say in some of these issues, it's complicated. I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor and so I have to have conversations with people and we have to weigh things and wrestle with things. Like, like a lot of my job happens in my mind as I think through different strategies and situations while being tethered to scripture and orthodoxy and biblical truth that has lasted for a really, really long time while I'm faithful to the person in front of me and trying to hear their story and see what they're wrestling and have compassion yet speak truth and challenge while comforting. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor. But if you care, then you feel it. This stuff is complicated. And if you're here this morning and you're, and you're pushing back against what I'm saying, well, it's really not that complicated. It's just really a matter of right and wrong. You see, either you're going to do it or you're not. And if you're not going to do it, you're going to be handled. If you do it, things would be great. If that is your worldview, how many people you want to Jesus recently? This stuff got layers. Because if you ever do the work of not just engaging positions, but listening to people, you understand the complexity of sin's effects on humanity. Are y'all with me this morning? And what I love about Jesus, notice his response. Here's what Jesus does. They come at him. They bring this woman caught in the act of adultery, and they want answers. They want answers. They want answers, but won't ask questions. They want answers. Give me, what, what should I do? Ask questions first. Stephen Covey, uh, the writer of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says this, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to say, do, am I understanding what you're saying first before I respond? Notice Jesus' response. He says nothing. I think a lot of times when it comes to issues and stuff people roll up on you with, what do you think about this? Sometimes I'm still thinking about it. Let me get back to you on that. Some of us speak way 
too fast. Jesus starts doodling in the sand like my son RJ would. They're coming to God in the flesh for questions. Jesus is doodling in the sand. I don't believe he's doing this because he's trying to get his thoughts together. I think he knows where they were going when, left, when they left their house this morning. I think he's doing this to model for us patience through complicated situations. So how should we be careful not to answer before thinking and praying and waiting? These are complicated issues. And again, I say to you, these are not issues to be argued over, but people to be loved. Let's talk about who, who brings this lady to Jesus. These are Pharisees and scribes, and these are people that are expositors of the law of Moses, which is central to the life of, of people at that time. They are, they are first century Palestinian Jews. They're scribes. They're considered lawyers or theologians. They are the smart elite of their day. They are the ones that bring this woman to Jesus. And they bring this woman to Jesus asking questions about the law. And I don't think it's a misunderstanding in how they are interpreting the law. They are doing this, the scripture tells us, to entrap Jesus. It is about, it is about trying to catch Jesus doing the wrong thing. They're trying to catch Jesus not upholding the truth. And here, here's the truth is... They're right. The scriptures are clear at that time that, that, that if a person was caught in the act of adultery, that they should be stoned. Deuteronomy 22, Leviticus 17. But they go right to truth, don't they? The witness of the crime must be first, or, or here's another translation of that passage, is that a lot of times when, when, when you would stone a person, the witnesses of the crime should be the first one to pick up the stone and begin the stoning. So they are waiting there, probably stones in hand, waiting for Jesus to nod before they start throwing stones. But in Leviticus 22, 23 through 24, it also has this implication that the person that is going to do the stoning should not be one that has committed the same sin. In other words, if you're going to stone somebody that's struggling with pornography, don't have porn on your phone and pick up rocks to stone them. So when Jesus says, he that is without sin cast the first stone, what is he saying? You who are not adulterers cast the first stone. You who have not committed this dissimilar sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, those that have come to shame Jesus now leaves in shame. Jesus hems up stone-throwing Christians. You see, the thing about Jesus is this. Jesus comes to the table. This is powerful. He comes full of grace and truth. 
and that's important. He's not just grace. He's not just He's, he's, he's not just loving, 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 loving. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's, you don't have to change. You don't have to change. I love you as you are. I'll leave you that. Not all that Jesus is. He is filled with grace and truth. There is a standard there. And that's a standard that we all have failed to reach, and that's why we are in desperate need of Jesus and his saving grace to give us the ability to live a life poured out for him to honor the one that has saved us from our sins. He's filled with grace and truth. As we think through all of those issues we've talked about, we must be people full of grace and truth. Jesus is not scared that her sin is going to rub off on him. He is filled with grace and truth. And that's why we could look at the text to see what he says to her. You that are without sin cast the first stone. And you watch and see one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. And Jesus engages her and says to her, woman, where are your accusers? This word woman has a connotation of value and dignity. He's not, he's not degrading her. He's not shaming her. He's not condemning her. He says to her, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're all gone. She says to him particularly, Lord, they're all gone. So now she has this reverence for this man who has just had mercy on her. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go on from now and do not sin anymore or leave your life of sin. Did you hear that this morning? That's grace and truth. I don't condemn you. I'm not going to, 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 to condemn you to a life without Christ. I'm not going to, 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 to shame you or to degrade you or to humiliate you. It looks like you've been humiliated enough. So I'm not going not gonna to do that, but I am going to give you this truth. Because this truth is not to destroy you. This truth is really for your own flourishment and health and, 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 and growth as a believer. You need this truth mixed with this grace so you can grow thereby. So as Christians, we are not spineless Christians that are afraid to speak the truth. But not before we've shown great grace. So, Rodney, what does this look like? I hear you, but what, what does this look like as I engage all kinds of individuals in all kinds of situations? It looks like a diversity of the people that you engage. 
you should have friends from every spectrum of Boynton Beach and beyond. If Jesus is not afraid of anyone's sin, getting on him as a blood-washed believer, you should not be afraid to engage people that are participating in some sin. Here's why the truth of the matter is, if I could follow you for a day, I could write a thesis on your sin nature. So the truth is, we need to be willing because we've been washed, we've been given this great grace that we do not deserve, it's been given to us, so we should be the first one to engage people that may seem to be far from Jesus. Because so are we. We should have a diversity in our friendships. This is why diversity for this church is a core value. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking all kinds of diversity here. To highlight one that I think is necessary for our church, our socioeconomic diversity. Do you have enough friends that are people of means and people of no means at all? Or does everyone in your circle makes about the same amount of money that you do? We need all kinds of diversity in our friendships, in our relationships. And when we do this, this is what we soon realize. Tim Keller says this, friendship is a deep oneness that develops when two people speaking the truth in love to one another journeys towards the same horizon. This is huge. If I'm your friend and I never, ever, ever offend you, here's the truth. I'm not your friend. I know I, I've offended all y'all in here in my preaching, one sermon or another, so I'm good. All, all y'all, my friend. It's part of my aim as I prep. How can I offend the body? I'm just joking. That's not what I do. But isn't that true? If we're friends, you should say at some point the hard thing to me. You should challenge me. You should, you should call me out. You should, you should say some truth to me that I need to hear even if I don't want to hear it. Do you have any friends? Or are you friendly? God's called us to speak the truth in love. Kevin DeYoung explains this this contextualization that I think needs to happen. You don't deal with everybody the same. I'm almost done. You don't deal with everybody the same. As a pastor, I've learned this, that there are certain people that come. Um, I, there, there are times where as a pastor, I need to be really, 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 really strong. That's just what needs to happen. There are other times as a pastor, I need to be very, 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 very gentle. And I'm praying as I meet with people that the Spirit is leading me in the right way and how I should engage people but I don't use one method with everybody or I wouldn't be a good pastor. If all pastor did was yell in sessions and meetings, I won't have any meetings. Or I'll only have people that respond that way in my meetings. If I was just soft and timid in every meeting, I'll only have people that respond that way in my meetings. I, I have to learn how to contextualize my leadership for the development of the people that I'm meeting with. Parents know this. You may have rules in your house, but you don't treat every child the same because each child is different. And you have to contextualize your instruction to that child so that child has the best chance of flourishing because all of your children, believe it or not, all of your children, they're different. 
Well, how do we approach ministry and try to have this one way across the line where we engage everybody the same way? No, that's not, that's not how it works. Some of you grow best by listening to sermons. That's how you thrive. That's how you grow when you enjoy Sunday morning. There are other people that don't even go to this church, but they'll go to a life group because that's how they grow. They need small communities so they can talk to each other. Beloved, in the same way, we have to learn how to speak the truth in love. And it feels and seems different every time we do it, but it's our call to contextualize the good news. Here's a few examples that Kevin DeYoung gives. If we are speaking to the cultural elite who are antagonistic towards Christians and our beliefs, we want to be gracious and patient, but also bold and courageous. If we're speaking to those struggling in resisting their same-sex attraction, we want to be patient and sympathetic. If we're speaking to those who suffer and have been mistreated by the church, we want to be humbly apologetic and healing. If we are speaking to shaky Christians who seem ready to compromise their faith for society's approval, we want to be faithful, persuasive, and persistent. If we are speaking to gays and lesbians who live as the the scriptures would not have them live, we want to be winsome and straightforward. If we're speaking to liberal Christians who would have deviated from the truth once delivered for the saints, we want to be serious and direct. Now, you may or may not agree with any of those things that were said here, but here's the truth that I want you to get. You better contextualize how you witness, and how you represent your faith to people. You can't handle everyone the same. So what do we do? How do we love and how does this work? Real simple. When God went to dealing with me and all of my mess, here's how he did it. Want you? If you're struggling with racism, come here. You know African Americans can be racist too. Come here. Want you? You, you, you're, You're beating your wife. Abuse children. Come here. Come. Want you? Still want you? Did it again? still calling you to come to me. As Mimi was ministering and the team was ministering, the one word that kept coming back to me was this, I will never leave you or walk out on you. I don't even know what that was. But it was like, man, it just kept coming back to me again. Now, Rodney, I'm I'm not going to leave you or I'm not going to walk out on you. I'm going to be with you. When you go through good times and when you go through low times, when, when GF is doing really, really well and when she's not doing what you think she should be doing, I'm not going to leave you. I'm in it with you. We are partners to the end. For those that are struggling with same-sex attraction, here's what Jesus says. Come, come. Come, 
or if there's just same-sex attraction and you're not even struggling, come, come. Doors are open. My appeal is made widely, come. Heard in the church, come. Rejected by parents, come. Arms wide open. This is grace, and it is ridiculous grace. But there's truth. He takes you as is, but never leaves you as is. I had a good conversation with a friend of mine. And this young lady, she has just wandered wandered away from the Lord. Painful to watch. Because in your wandering, it is not just time away from him. It is time away from purpose. It is time away from destiny. It's time in pain, in folly, in foolishness. You, you, you're, 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 you're sucking away the life out of your years as you wander for him. I want to tell somebody that's considering wandering this morning, ain't nothing out there. Ain't nothing out there. Yeah, but this Christian is so, it's so tight. It's, I just got to be faithful. I just feel like I'm doing the same thing over. And you know all the alternative. This is what Peter said to Jesus. Jesus said, will you leave me too? Peter says, well, I'm going to go. From out of your mouth for the words of life. Peter has said, I have burned every other road that becomes a detour to me following you. He says, Come as you are. Democrat, Republican, come. Because Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican. I love what Tony Evans says about this. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Jesus don't ride the backs of donkeys or, or elephants. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords all by himself. He don't need a candidate. You can't vote him in. You can't vote him out. Come, why? He doesn't leave you as is. And this is what I was trying to tell my friend as she wonders, here's the truth. I told her, the hound of heaven. <laughs> will seek you out and find you. That's what the Holy Ghost is. If you don't know, the Holy Ghost is the hound dog of heaven. And he got your scent on his nose, and he's gonna he's gonna seek you out till he finds you. And, and when he finds you, he's gonna apprehend you. And when he apprehends you, he's gonna bring you back to himself. This is what Paul is saying in Philippians. He's saying, I'm after the one that has apprehended me. That Christ has chased him and in chasing him has captured him and has captured him. Now Paul is saying, I'm after the one that chased after me. Beloved, that is what Christ wants to do, not just in us, but in the people out there. So there's good news that we have despite where any of our friends and neighbors and families are. There is still good news. The hound of heaven still chases sinners and Jesus' arms are still wide open until the day they're not. So there's work for us to do. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you. Unbelievable grace. God, we don't sit as one that just intellectually uh, places in our columns what grace is and what it looks like to who it, is, who it comes to and who it looks like. God, your grace is absolutely ridiculous, yet your truth is unfailing. And your truth has come to lead and guide us into all righteousness. So I pray that we will be bold in our proclamation of truth. That you would help us not to bend with culture, but to bend with ministries. But God, that you would call us to be unique in that we will experience extravagant grace, but stand on unfailing truth, which is your word. And so we thank you. Thank you that this church will lift up the word of God. Thank you that this church will say what the word says. Thank you that we'll be faithful unto death by God's grace. Help us to be faithful unto death, that we will not be swayed by culture, swayed by what people say. But God, we want to be immensely giving in our grace and our love and our understanding. So God, help us to deal with that tension because it's complicated. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody clap your hands. Give God praise. Um, I would like to welcome everyone for coming in and worship with us today. Um, if this is your very first or second time visiting us, you should have received a connection card on your way in. Um, if you did not receive a connection card,